This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to another episode of the Community Kids Podcast. I'm Evie Jones, and we don't have Jackie today because her computer gave her the screen of death. But our guest today is Hannah Wolfert. Hi, Hannah. Hi, Evie. How are you doing? Pretty good for a Tuesday, whatever day it is. Yeah, <laughs> whatever day it is. I know, I thought it was Wednesday all day. That's always it's disappointing not. when you think it's later than it actually is. Yeah. Yep. I was like, oh, tomorrow's Thursday. We're moving right along. But it's not. Yep. Well, thank you for coming on. What drew you to come on to the podcast? Um, Probably a number of things. I Mm -hmm. have been quite involved in community, in multiple communities, actually, um, in Mm -hmm. the course of my life. And so I think I have some interesting experiences to share. It's been great to hear everyone else's experiences too, and just kind of want to add some of mine to the mix um, for those who yeah. may be looking for, you know, another perspective to add to the to the yeah. experiences. Totally, yeah. And I think it's interesting that you have been part of so many of the communities, especially because I know a lot of people's stories sort of involve one element or another that's kind of comparing their community to others. So I think that, yeah, that is really helpful perspective. So which um, community did you start in? Um, So I was born in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So at the time it was the Word of God community. My parents were uh, met and married in the Word of God in Ann Arbor. They both uh, ended up in, in Ann Arbor in the 70s and joined community. My mom was at college um, at the U of M, actually met um, people from community and UCO like right away when she first came to campus um, and was pretty much involved from then on. And then my dad went to college elsewhere and ended up um, kind of hearing about community, being interested in moving to Ann Arbor to be part of it. Okay. So your parents kind of got into it. met in it and then there's you yeah so I was, I was kind of a little bit of a part of kind of a baby boom I would say a lot of my friends were like eldest children of couples that married in the early 80s um there were quite a number of us um turning 40 this year <laughs> um, so uh we were not you know the very first generation but there was definitely a big wave of people whose parents kind of went to school in the 70s at Michigan and surrounding colleges and came in through UCO at that point as the community was sort of growing at that phase yeah. and kind of getting more established and bigger, much bigger. Yeah, that's really interesting. I never really, I guess I never thought about that, how it was when it started and grew so quickly, there were so many marriages. Yep. Like, and I know some people feel they were semi-arranged others do not feel that you know everyone's story is different but um but yeah of course that would lead to a lot of babies yeah (laughs) yeah and I think we're you know sort of elder millennials and stuff so a lot I mean for various Mm -hmm. reasons I would say a lot of the people who were ahead of us that very first generation many of them Mm -hmm. didn't stay around very long but a lot of people my age are still involved Okay. in community. So it's kind of an interesting, interesting dynamic, whatever path they've taken from there to here. Yeah. Yeah. So did your parents stay in Word of God um, after the split in 90? No. So okay. yeah, I don't have a lot of memories of like much. I was, yeah, but in a, I think we left in around 1991. Um, okay. I was, so I was like nine 
Um, but I do remember a few things about going to like district gatherings in Dexter, which is where I lived and um, going to Pease Auditorium and Ipsy for like bigger gatherings. I do remember mm -hmm. that going to the children's program for some reason, one of the, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, like memories that I have that sticks out is like, <laughs> if you would kind of stand up in front of the kids program and give a prophecy, they would give you a stick of bubble gum. Oh, wow. So I was pretty excited about that. Um, Did you give lots of prophecies? <laughs> no, I only think I gave one. I just was like, whoa, that's very cool. <laughs> that is very cool. Uh, yeah. When you're like seven or eight, that's like very, very cool. <laughs> yeah, that's incredibly incentivizing. So I have some memories of that, but my family also was pretty, um, just did a lot of the like home stuff. So we had mm. daily family prayer before dinner and Lord's Day on Saturday nights. We would go to Christ the King for Mass, which is the Catholic parish that was in Ann Arbor that grew out of the community. And then we would also, and then on Sunday, we would like have our little family prayer meeting and then go to the big prayer meeting. So it was a lot of community oh, wow. activities. Okay. We had people, yeah. um, I only have sisters. I'm the oldest of three. And so we would have, at various points, we had households. So we would have like a single lady or two that would stay with us um, okay. in their 20s, which was pretty awesome. A lot of those relationships yeah. they still have. And they're sort of like, we're like extra big sisters um, me. So yeah, um, that was definitely one of the plus sides. I think since it was always like just our family and usually one, I think the most we ever had was two other people. It was kind of just... Okay a less intense experience than some people may have had of like, it was never, well, other than one family living with us for a summer, it was never really like a multi-family <laughs> or like 10 singles and five children running around. It wasn't really that, which some people experienced. It was yeah. kind of small household life. Yeah. That must've been really cool, especially as you said, you're the oldest, right? Yeah. So that must've been cool to have older women around who you could kind of look up to in that sort of older sister way. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, they were mostly, since they were single ladies, they were mostly like working and stuff. So I think I got a sense of kind of there was life after college other than just getting married. I'm not sure that's the message mm, that was okay. intended, but it definitely gave me like they were, you know, hanging out with their friends and having fun and um, yeah, going on community authorized dates, you know, things like that. <laughs> um, the usual. Yeah. So in, in the early 90s, um, I guess I should, I was going to say this toward the beginning, but my, um, it's actually my dad's birthday today. Uh, some people Oh my may... gosh, it's Jackie's birthday too. <laughs> That's funny. Happy so, birthdays. <laughs> yeah. Um, I am not going to talk a ton about, um, you know, my parents because he did work for yeah. the Word of Life for a long time. And I just want people to know that nothing that I talk about came from that. He's a very he takes his jobs very seriously, whatever they are. And he was always very private with the kinds of things that he heard in confidence when he worked for the community. Okay. So nothing that I talk about would be anything I heard from him. Um, yeah. Okay. And, you know, everybody's parents are different, but I think, I think I had a pretty great childhood, but I probably won't dwell a ton on, you know, the particular parenting yeah. milieu of the eighties sure. and nineties that many of us yeah, have already yeah. covered. But, um, right. My dad, for those of you who've met him, is kind of an intense guy. And he would always sort of say that community left him. Like he felt like the leaders kind of made, you know, since there was like a personal fight kind of involved. Right. And differing visions for the communities. He always kind of felt like he just kept doing the community stuff, but the communities like kind of lost their way and a lot of his friends left and stuff. But we still did a lot of the prayers at home, the like family prayer meetings, all that kind of stuff. No TV, wow. no radio, like yeah. very, still lived a fairly community life, basically just without the prayer meetings. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. So yeah, your dad really held on to the teachings of it. It sounds like. Yes. Yeah. 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 But also kind of weirdly, we went to public school. So a lot of the other people you've had mm -hmm. on the show went to Huron Valley. The vast majority of my right. community friends did. But um, for whatever reason, I'm, which I'm very thankful for, um, we lived out in Dexter. Yeah. And so it was a pretty small public school and pretty like small village. So okay. mm -hmm. I think my parents felt comfortable sending us there. They were involved, you know, in some like parent groups and stuff to kind of keep an eye on things. But yeah, um, we did get the chance to to go to public school, ride the bus, do a lot of those kind of normal things, but. Okay. 
Interesting. What was that like going to public school when you didn't have like TV and radio at home? It was weird, especially in the 90s. Yeah. 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 We were actually watching like my husband and I were watching a documentary because we love this of like toys that made us. And I was like, I never had any of these toys like Teenage Mutant yeah. Ninja Turtles. Like it was still a fun story, but I was like, right. I did not watch, you know, all my friends. Completely did. unrelatable. Like my yeah. my husband plays Magic the Gathering like so many other like mm. middle aged white men now, but right in in um, you know middle school or so that was big with the guys and my parents were like that is evil and you cannot play that um, yeah. you know sort of yeah. classified with like Dungeons and Dragons right um, right so yeah I was definitely I would kind of join in the some of the trends that I sort of could without actually watching the show like very early Pokemon mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Um, you can yeah. sort of like get some cards, you know, cards for free when you buy something. <laughs> so I'd be like, yeah. okay, I have a couple <laughs> Pokemon cards, but I'd never watch the show or Aww. any of the, yeah. so yeah, it was definitely yep. weird to this day. I I'm still terrible at things like eighties and nineties cartoon theme songs. Um, yeah. because I just yeah. never, that was not my experience. Like in the early nineties, we were watching like recorded Star Trek episodes from the original <laughs> show from the 60s so wow wow yeah. yeah it was a little bit of a culture shock yeah um, as I hit middle school and high school for sure right and then yeah all the other kids kind of get less and less supervision at home <laughs> and yeah, less, exactly. you know a lot of their parents work and they just watch tv after school or whatever and yeah yeah and there were some things like sports that my parents grudgingly kind of agreed we could bend our schedule for, like missing, you know, family prayers and family dinner. Okay. Um, yeah. Once we got to high school. But before that, it was pretty much everything else revolved around the family schedule. Wow. So yeah, that's that really just, intense. It was kind of intense. Um, it's just very much my parents had a super clear vision for what they wanted. And you know, yeah. 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 But it was nice to be in like, traditional sports I mean not like sports are now I feel like a, an old person when I say that but you know we would play like recreational no, softball no, in the yeah. summer and my dad would coach and um that's cool I think in some ways like I said this in our pre-chat but the mm -hmm. having only sisters I think I escaped some of the uh like paternalistic kind of toxicity stuff in some ways yeah. you know some of those messages sure. still come through but like my dad was highly outnumbered Mm. Um, with like four, <laughs> yeah, four people. As a as a Catholic, he always used to joke because he also has um, four sisters, and he married a woman. Oh my gosh! Sisters. So he would wow. always make a rosary related joke and say, "Blessed art that, blessed am I among women." <laughs> <laughs> um, that was always his little That's silly funny. thing to say. Um, he definitely, but like he taught me about football, you know, finally he was like, well, I'm not going to have a son. I might as well teach somebody to enjoy <laughs> football with me. So he yeah. would like do the little yeah. X's and O's and we would listen on the radio to Michigan football. Aww. And, um, my sister Martha's super tall. And so she played basketball for a long time and that was always his sport too. So that was kind of what they bonded over. Okay. Um, so, you know, there was, I would say those, we maybe had some extra opportunities to like hang out with our dad and do yeah. some things that were maybe by community standards a little more tomboyish um, simply because right, we had right. no brothers and there was uh, nothing that a uh, sort of feisty girl couldn't do in our family pretty yeah. much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. You're like, well, I can do all of these things and you're just going to have to deal with it because this is what you have. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's cool. My parents were always very supportive of like being involved and in doing stuff at school. And especially as I moved into high school, like mm -hmm. um, they did give me a choice if I wanted to do something different. Some of my friends went to um, Washtenaw Technical Middle College, which had just started. Yeah. Then some people, I had a number of friends at Gable Richard. I don't know that any of us ever considered that as like an option financially, but yeah. I think my parents would have let me like try for a scholarship or something if I really wanted to go. Yeah. Um, but just wasn't really my style. Probably ultimately mm -hmm. my ultimately good choice for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah so I was but I was in yeah. theater I mean that was one of the weird things like music for some reason when I was growing up we had a pretty locked down music situation but once I got into middle school they were like oh you can listen to the radio and oh, uh, so I have this sort of funny like progression of music learning where I started with like soft rock stations and then like 90s pop and then I sort of went back in time into like yeah. classic rock it's very weird yeah <laughs> um, so. It doesn't sound weird to me. It makes a lot of sense to me. It's like, yep, yep. And the crazy thing is my dad is a huge audiophile and he had a bunch of like Led oh. Zeppelin and stuff on oh, like reel to reels that he like threw away when he joined community. Oh my gosh. Oh, so it's just odd. the amount of like vinyl and yeah. photographs and things that I feel like were burned in that era. Yeah. <laughs> it's just sad. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, yeah, it kind of makes you realize how much your parents gave up and yeah, mm -hmm. they were definitely very passionate about what they thought was, you know, right at the time. That's for sure. But yeah, we listen to musicals. We listen to musicals a lot. Yeah. And so, um, and for some reason, like musicals were fair game. Like, so freshman year of high school, I was actually the witch in Into the Woods, which is a pretty intense musical oh, wow. for like a community girl. <laughs> like, yeah, I had never heard a rap song, but I could rap <laughs> the witch's rap <laughs> from that musical <laughs> by heart. And um, oh my gosh. So... That's hilarious. That was about the peak of my theater career, freshman year in high school. Um, but, you know, theater <laughs> is also, can be a special place, right? Full of interesting and odd people, especially in the late 90s yeah. and early yeah. 2000s. So, you know, it was kind of nice because I got to branch out and just meet, you know, a different cross-section of people I didn't always hang out with. And I think got right. more aware of, you know how some different parts of the world I had not experienced work than my sheltered community upbringing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was still pretty involved in Life Teen, which was the youth group at um, Christ the King. Okay. I had a lot of friends. I know Isaac talked pretty extensively about Jen Christ. I did have some friends involved in that, but yeah. it was like a little too hyper charismatic for me personally. So, mm -hmm. um, but I was, you know, very much the <clears throat> good girl for the most part. And, uh, yeah. you know, following kind of in my parents' footsteps in terms of being very serious about my faith and, um, you know, doing a lot, like a lot of my life just circled around youth group activities yeah. at, at Life Teen. And I'd say like 80% of my friends went to Gabriel Shard, so I often would go to like okay. theater productions or even dances or whatever there just, you know, as part of my mm -hmm. social life with youth group people. Did you ever go to... Pine Hills or any of the more community-based things in high school? No. So, I mean, we left, my family left when I was like nine, and then I got back involved with UCO when I was 16. So in that like seven-year okay. period, I didn't really do much specifically community-related except for Christ the King Catholic Church stuff. Yeah. Um, I did okay. not go to Pine Hills. I don't really know why. Well, I went to, my parents sent us to Spring Hill, which was like a huge okay. evangelical camp in like mid-Michigan. Mm -hmm. um, for whatever reason, they sort of landed on that, which was, I mean, those camps were legit. <laughs> it was very fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, they had like archery and um, canoeing and all the camp things, but in a pretty like, it's kind of like a mega church camp feeling, you know, <laughs> okay. just like mm -hmm. thousands of kids wandering around. Um, yeah. Was it um, charismatic? I'd say charismatic light a little okay. bit, de but definitely, yeah. yeah, definitely not like, I mean, there was a lot of worship music and, you know, okay. music and bonfires and stuff were sort of like part of it, but there wasn't. And I, I would guess that I want to say like some praying over people and a, maybe speaking in tongues wouldn't be completely out of place, but it's not like everyone was doing it. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I got you. Okay. It was, yeah, it was definitely on the lighter side, but it was in that sort of, you know, spirit filled, um, evangelical kind of space. So, yeah. I think at that point, my parents were pretty like, nope, you're not really doing anything officially community. Okay. So that was sort yeah. of the alternative yeah. thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, it sounds like they got pretty um, hurt by it. Oh, yeah, very much so. So when I was like 17-ish, I went to, um, so another thing I did in high school is like, Dexter was fine, but the academics were not that great. Now it's a really good school, but at the time it was, you know, pretty small and rural and didn't have like AP classes or anything. And I was like, oh, maybe I want to go to a good college. So I did what was also kind of new at that time. I did dual enrollment. So even though I didn't go to Washington full time, and I, I had a lot of friends there. And so I went to Washington like half the day. So my okay. my junior year, I was at um, my high school in the morning and then Washington in the afternoon. And then my senior year, I actually just took gym and choir, which were the only required classes I had left to graduate high school um, <laughs> at Dexter. So I was at Dexter from like eight to 10. And then I was basically free Whoa. with like three college classes after that. <laughs> So it's a good time. Senior wow. year of high school was a nice yeah. time of life. <laughs> That's very chill. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was a good year. So I was like one foot out the door yeah. already. And so I showed up to, I guess I should caveat and say, I did go to one yes retreat, which was like the big community retreat, <laughs> like my sophomore year mm-hmm. of high school, I want to say. And so junior year of high school, I show up to my French class at Washington Community College because the rule was you couldn't take any classes that were offered at your high school. So like they had Spanish and German. So I had to take like French. Um, So I showed up to my French class at Washington (laughs) Community College and there was still one of my best friends to this day. Um, She's from the Jackson community. And I had met her on the yes retreat, like kind of briefly. Yeah. Um, And so she immediately recognized me and that was like the beginning of, I mean, literally a lifelong friendship. Um, so she was sort of like my big sister. So she was a like a freshman or first year student at that point. So she was a couple of years older than me. And she was like, hey, you should come to UCO at some point, okay. like halfway through the year. And I was like, oh, okay. I was definitely feeling like sort of growing out of life teen or just, you know, things mm-hmm. were changing and it wasn't like fitting my schedule as well. And I was kind of like looking for something a little more college focused or like life after high school focused. Um, yeah. So, I headed over to UCO and got pretty involved even as a junior senior in high school because the, you know, it, the at least at that time, like most people are under drinking age and stuff. So it was still pretty high school yeah. friendly in some ways. Um, I don't think a lot of people from the youth group in the community were going there. But since I was technically a college student, um, Interesting. I yeah. did a lot with them. So sort of through my junior year and then especially my senior year when my schedule was basically a college student schedule, um, mm-hmm. I got pretty involved with UCO. Um, they also had a pretty big group of people from all over. So we had a couple of people from Jackson, Lansing. I mean, at that point, going to U of M, um, we had a lot, a lot of ex-community kids um, oh, like wow. me, okay. like a lot of people whose parents had left um, oh, yeah. In the split, but had come back to UCO when they went to college. So it was kind of an interesting, huh. it was quite a, it, UCO was also growing quite a lot um, in the late 90s. And so when I joined in like two, 2000-ish, um, it was a decently mm-hmm. sized group in Ann Arbor, like, well, for then, I know it's grown even more at some points in the past, it was like, yeah, probably 50 or 60 people most weeks um, that would kind of gather for wow. prayer meeting. Yeah, they were running courses. You know, we would go out for ice cream or whatever wholesome thing after mm-hmm. um, prayer meetings <laughs> each week. Yeah. And there was a girl's household or women's household. Um, and they were just like one year older than me, most of them. Okay. Um, so I would kind of hang out there sometimes between classes. Um, so there was definitely a pretty big and growing kind of UCO contingent at U of M at that point. And my parents were supportive. I mean, they were kind of like, well, you know, we don't always okay. love community, but this isn't like, you know, it's just UCO um, or whatever. <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. We're kind of like willing to support it. So or support me going because it was kind of, you know, good people and good activities. Um, So yeah, I got to know a lot of people and it was just sort of assumed by me and a lot of other people that I would just go to college at U of M. Like it made sense. Like, 
Right. You know, I got in. You're already involved. Yeah. But I, I'm still trying to remember, like, why I even ended up, up. Oh, well, I guess three people who were two years older than me, all of them ex-community kids in my youth group at Christ the King, all went to Notre Dame. And so that was like four people two years older than me had become pretty good friends in high school. And so I went down to visit them a couple of mm-hmm. times and I was like, oh my gosh, this place is legit. So yeah. <laughs> I applied to Notre Dame and I was the first person ever from my high school um, in Dexter to apply there. Um, wow. It's probably a good thing I didn't go to Richard because tons of people apply from there all the yeah. time. <laughs> but they actually called my high school and like got their like state registration number oh, wow. because they hadn't no one had ever seen applied. the accreditation they were or like, anything yet is this a real high that's school that's crazy <laughs> <laughs> but like and also i mean academics were not that big of a deal it was very kind of a sports and mm-hmm. farming school so when i took the national right. tests my parents were like okay you can go wherever you want really wow um that's awesome so i kind of narrowed it down to wanting to stay in the midwest um but then yeah. Also being like, well, I mean, Notre Dame is great. And then I ended up landing a full mm-hmm. tuition scholarship there, um, which is not a thing wow. that happens if you live close to U of M around here. Um, so right. I was like, oh, that's a pretty, that's amazing. That's a pretty good deal. Um, and it's going to be hard to resist. So yeah, I'd say it was like, yeah. seriously, April 20th or something like not very far before the May 1st deadline. I like went back to campus at Notre Dame. And I was pretty concerned at the time about like, mm-hmm. what would the like campus and charismatic and Christian culture be like? Because it is a much smaller school than U of M. Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. and because I hadn't gone to Catholic school, I was like, oh, am I going to fit in, you know, like with, it's like 60% Catholic right. school kids. Um, yeah. And single gender dorms, you know, some of that stuff. I was like, oh, is this just going to be like college Catholic girls' school and is that really right? What I want? Right. Yeah, <laughs> especially after doing like public school and then kind of starting college classes at a yeah. you know public community college early. Yeah, that's almost like taking a step back into shelter. Exactly. Yeah, yeah it is because they do things like you know guys have to leave the girls' dorms at midnight. Like it's not Ave Maria type strict okay. where or Franciscan where you yeah. can't even like go into their dorms. But it's <laughs> it's definitely there were still some rules that were a little bit weird to me. Again, I was like yeah. a good kid, so I wasn't exactly planning to break those rules. But sure, um, I was still not sure that that would feel like a good college experience. So I went yeah. down. I stayed overnight, you know, with some friends and had a great time. And I also talked to um, Craig Lent, whose name I'm sure you can Google, um, who's the leader of the People of Praise community in South Bend. Mm, He's mm -hmm. now the head coordinator of that community. Okay. Um, And he is an engineering professor at Notre Dame. So there are quite a lot of members of the People of Praise community who teach at Notre Dame, including one who's now a associate justice of the Supreme Court. Um, and so I met with Professor Lent and, you know, he was telling me about their campus fellowship, as they call it, which is kind of the UCO equivalent in the People of Praise. Okay. And it sounded pretty similar to what we did in UCO. So I was sort of encouraged that there was a group that I could kind of fit into. Yeah. Um, that would be similar to what I had been doing in, in Ann Arbor. Mm -hmm. Um, even though it was kind of a big leap to just leave all of that. That is after yeah. like two years of mini community with UCO. <laughs> right, um, right. So yeah, at that point I I took the plunge. I went to Notre Dame, which is great. I have never regretted that decision in my life. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, sounds like you really had it set up for you and you know, it, yeah. how could you say no? Yeah. I'm glad yeah, you did it. It was that really a great like experience. Good. Yeah. Having only sisters, like I loved the, I, I still love, you know, just the single gender environment can be nice. You know, everybody mm-hmm. like wandering around in their pajamas and like, yeah, everybody has a chapel in the building. You know, it just was kind of like, it does feel very sort of homey and comfortable. Mm-hmm. And there were social and academic and kind of football related traditions around each yeah. dorm. It kind of feels a little more like a, like a college, a traditional college in like an English university, like Oxford or something, 
you know, it's like okay. more of a yeah. living community. Right. Then with a small C, uh, then like a typical <laughs> dorm you would get at Lake Michigan. Not that that's bad. Yeah. It just was a good experience for me. Yeah. Just different. Yeah. So you, so, went yeah. To since we're mainly game. talking about community. Yeah. I'll, yeah. <laughs> I jumped in also kind of like my mom. I jumped in like my first week I went to this campus fellowship, which was the equivalent of, I don't know if we've spelled it out, but university Christian outreach UCO at Michigan. Mm -hmm. um, so I walked in and I was not the only new person there. It's a smaller group. It was a smaller group, maybe like 30 people or less 25, 30 people regularly, but my year, okay. I just, I guess I, I like to be at the top of the wave. There were 12 people, <laughs> 12 community kids from the people of praise that were also freshmen. So okay. um, there was like quite a big wave of new people. So I, I felt in a good way, like somewhat, you know, not alone, just showing right. up in this group where I didn't know anyone. Um, but at that point, so then I like started learning more about the people of praise. Mm -hmm. So when I say I have lived in different communities, not just within um, the sort of the spirit, but also a whole different. Yeah. Group for those who don't know the people of praise and the word of God parted ways in the early 80s, I want to say, probably around the time I was born, really. Okay. <laughs> um, so, the, and they, again, I think a personality and location and vision kind of difference. Um, yeah. And I had heard of them, but I, I didn't really know. I don't think anyone in Ann Arbor really knew. Like, what were the differences? There really wasn't much. Right. Uh, communication between the two. So it was yeah. a little bit of a, an experiment on my part <laughs> just to see what it was like. Um, yeah. But a lot of it was pretty comfortable. Many of the same songs, you know, older okay. songs that had been written in the 70s and 80s were still, you know, used. They also had a pretty prolific set of songwriters, two of their own. So I like learned some new songs that were specific okay. to people of praise. Um, and we actually used to meet in this beautiful little room right above the South Dining Hall. So you could actually hear oh. us like singing loudly across, across South Quad. Um, yeah. That's funny. <laughs> On any given Thursday night wow. <clears throat> at Notre Dame. Interesting. Actually, one of my good friends uh, just walked in. She heard us singing and she just walked in and that's how I met her. Oh my gosh. <laughs> she just heard us. Like, She's like what is town. going on? <laughs> so, um, People of Praise, a couple of things just to highlight about that experience for those who don't know yeah. much about them. Um, in the 90s-ish, I want to say mid-90s, they had started a series, like a set of schools. So I think in Minnesota, South Bend, Colorado, maybe. They had a, three or four different campuses, Virginia. Um, they had these Trinity schools. Um, and so people in my class had mostly gone through four years of high school at, at Trinity schools. So they had been in like intense community school environment very much like like a high school here on valley kind of thing like right. pretty small okay. classes kind of classical curriculum <clears throat> they're all super smart <laughs> yeah yeah um, i mean they, they let like eight people from the same tiny high school into notre dame like that's oh, pretty wow. rare yeah <laughs> notre right. dame usually only takes one or like one or two people per high school they're very picky about that yeah especially like religious high schools um, huh. and they took I think eight there were at least six kids from the South Bend Whoa. Trinity School in do you think class. they just like scored had really high test scores or was it was there like an arrangement yeah, with the I mean super smart no I don't think it was a formal arrangement by any means I mean yeah I think you have a combination of like their parents all met at Notre Dame, right? <laughs> so okay. right. you've right. got Fair. strong yeah. genetics, mm -hmm. strong mm -hmm. work, work ethic. I mean, they did give a lot of homework, mm -hmm. a very like Socratic method style of teaching that prepares you for things like interviews for getting into college, like really well. Right. Um, and I mean, despite, I don't say despite being community kids, I have a lot of great friends that are community kids. They had pretty varied <laughs> personalities and experiences okay. and interests, you know? So yeah. Yeah. They were not too cookie cutter. You know, this one okay. wanted to be a doctor. This one wanted to write novels. You know, they're just, there was quite a range. Of, yeah. They were not, they were not all the it's same. It's not like eight um, of the same. Of what they wanted to study and stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's not like they, like eight of them showed up and were like, we all want to be mechanical right. engineers and we all want to <laughs> live in this dorm or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was definitely different in a lot of ways than what I was used to, but they were also a little, 
kind of an amazingly more intense than UCO and Ann Arbor. They actually got together for dinner every single day. So they would like have a designated place in the dining hall that you could like know our little campus fellowship. Okay. Um, yeah. So like, I mean, on any given day, it'd be maybe like that's still a lot. Yeah. six to 12 of us. Yeah. And so we would basically like eat dinner and then go pray in whatever chapel okay. we were near. Um, like briefly, just like a night prayer kind of thing. Yeah. But what it meant was a lot of time spent because often after that, we would like all go study together or whatever, right. you know, so it was a pretty intensive kind of campus life experience. Yeah. Especially for those of us who were freshmen. Mm-hmm. Like I was used to being, you know, having a couple different groups of friends. And so I definitely got to know the girls in my dorm pretty well, um, as well as, you know, a couple of like activities. Mm-hmm. I had a job on campus. And, um, but they definitely, over the course of like my freshman and sophomore year, kind of became like my primary social group. Okay. Yeah. Um, because there was just so much to do with them. Yeah. And so many of them already knew each other that it just kind of made sort of a instant community. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And then similar to UCO and Ann Arbor, there's not like a deeply direct connect like a a clear pipeline from the college group to the bigger community okay but by like my sophomore year I had started kind of asking I mean everyone knew I was a community kid yeah had grown up in word of God we actually had some people so we had two other kinds of groups of people small groups Mm -hmm. one from the people of God community the third big group of communities in the country so we had some people from Phoenix LA san francisco they're all west coast there's a little bit of a geographic thing that happened with the communities yeah um sort of the spirit is kind of east coast to midwest and then people of praise is like midwest south into west and then people of god is mostly west coast interesting okay um yeah i don't know i don't know how that happened but um so we have a few people of God kids and we had a fair number of missionary kids too. Oh, wow. So even though Notre Dame is a very Catholic school, for some reason, like smart missionary kids, it's like the place or it was in the early 2000s huh. where smart missionary kids wanted to go. So we had this like little kind of core group of missionary kids, which was also an interesting thing. So yeah. one, of, one of my best friends grew up, lived for like 12 years of her life from like six to 18 in Brazil. Another one of my good guy friends who's now a priest grew up in Turkey um, and went to, went to high school in in Germany. Oh, wow. Um, So they really brought more of like a global feel and a little bit of a suspicion of the sort of weirdnesses of community, which was nice for me (laughs) because people of praise definitely had some weirdness. Yeah. Um, so by the time I got to my sophomore year, I was like, hey, can I go to like a bigger community prayer meeting? Mm-hmm. And they didn't think I was just like there to be weird. I was actually curious yeah. to see what it was like. Um, at the time, it was quite a large community. I'd say about two to three times the size of Word of Life in Ann Arbor. Wow. Um, definitely a good 300 people or so on a Sunday afternoon. Um, wow. Like okay. adults. Um, They actually have a community center, much like the Lansing community does, but much bigger. It actually used to be a bowling alley, which is kind of random. Oh, my gosh. It used to be like a sports center. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So it kind of serves as both like the sports fields, like the outside part for the school, community school, and then the community meeting center. Okay. Yeah. So I did. People often ask when they hear that I was involved with People of Praise. I guess my claim to fame is I did meet Amy Coney Barrett like once briefly in passing and she was drowning in small children because it was 2003 and happens in community, you know, so it was like, hi, I'm Amy. Hi, I'm Hannah. Um, Like maybe two minutes of chat, but I do remember meeting her. So when her name started coming up, I was like, I know that person. I've seen her before. Yeah. That's bizarre. Um, But it was, it was quite a shock. I think I only went to three or four because it was exactly like the pictures and descriptions my parents had told me about of like late 70s, early 80s community mm-hmm. in Ann Arbor. But it was 2003. Yeah. Like they still, the women would still sometimes wear veils oh, wow. either over their head or their shoulders, okay. like white ones. Not like not like Latin church veils, but like the special community ones. Yeah. Um, and women 
did not stand on the primary music platform. They stood like off to the side. Okay. In fact, women like pretty much did not go up on the main platform ever. Wow. Never taught anything. Only made a few announcements mm-hmm. concerning women's things. Um, their structure was a lot more intense. So basically you had four meetings a month. You had three meetings with your small group and one meeting with your pastoral leader. Okay. So you were always meeting pastorally with someone yeah. every week. Yeah. And it was a much like deeper kind of scrutiny of your life mm. that I had heard they did in the 80s that they still do yeah. maybe today. I don't know. At least they did 20 yeah. years ago in the people of race. Yeah. Um, and just things like people would go up to the front and get prayed over and get slain in the spirit in like a big prayer meeting, which does not happen. Yeah. Maybe at all. It ha- in, like, I've seen it like at Pine Hills. I've seen yeah, it at, at and camp stuff. and like retreats, like yeah. big events, but yeah, not just at like a Sunday gathering. And they have like, and then because modesty, we must have it. They have like <laughs> special blankets. Like if someone falls over in the spirit, which I know you've talked about before, but yeah. like faints or whatever. Yeah. Uh, they have like, the, if it was a lady, they'd like bring a blanket over and like cover you. What? For modesty reasons. It was, Wow. it was definitely a little weird so I went a couple times like it wasn't just out of curiosity it was kind of like hey well you know I've been doing the campus yeah. thing for a while what is the bigger community like and I was like I'm just gonna stick with I think the I'm good. yeah <laughs> yeah Jeez. I was like wow this is I had heard the stories and then yeah. just to like yeah I know you've said before like everyone thinks everybody else's community is weird but People praise was definitely weird, weird. unless <laughs> unless they've made major changes like I never actually thought I just and I in many ways, it's true that the Word of Life community in Ann Arbor has not changed much, right. but they have actually changed. Mm-hmm. They do at least have like women's leaders, whether they're yeah. window um, dressing or not. not. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, they at least, you know, women can talk. I have heard people stand up yes. and give at least sharings, if not like Bible based testimonies. Right. Um, right. Hold the mic, talk for you know, most of the meeting sing equally with the guys, like, you know, it's just, just some basic stuff like that in terms yeah. of gender equality mm-hmm. uh, was pretty different. Yeah. Wow. That's fascinating. Yeah. And it's interesting to me yeah. too, like, like I can see how easily that would happen also. Like if yep. it it's like not much of a stretch to be like, okay, yep. now we're going to do these things, you know, if, I, whatever happened in terms of yeah. this split up, it's it's just like a little to the left. It's not like a totally different yeah. thing, you know? And they never had the kind of split that we had in the right. 90s. So they right. just kept carrying on. Like, I do think that that actually did force some people to, like, think about what they were doing and why mm-hmm. in a way that people of praise just never did. They They, they have the same leaders for a long time. Like at least, again, ostensibly the leadership of sort of the spirit turns over fairly often. Right, right. Wow. At least when I was involved in the early 2000s, like Steve Clark technically stepped down and gave presidency to someone else. Mm -hmm. And it was someone from the Middle East, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of a big deal from like a global community perspective. Right, right. So um, it's still a man, of course, but of course. Yes. <laughs> no doubt about that. Not that but... different. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what did you, so did you just kind of continue with the fellowship through college and then? Yeah, I continued through college um, toward, well, in my junior year, they were kind of like, hey, are you interested in joining like bigger community? Do you want to make an underway commitment? Yeah. And it's the same wording, but a different level of commitment in um, in their community versus oh, okay. in the sort of spirit. In the sort of spirit, it's one year, and you're like, right? That's I like mean, the free to go, the trial version, like, free trial. Yeah, run. it's like a trial yeah. run. Yeah. Um, there, it's much more like you have to already be pretty serious about community, and this is another holdover. They don't really teach you anything oh. until you get really close to being publicly committed. Mm. So, I mean, I, I went through the whole, so I was like, that's not really for me. Yeah. I don't know what I'm going to do exactly, but if I'm going to be in a community, it's going to be sort of the spirit. Yeah. 
Um, so I was like, thanks, but no thanks. And then they basically, I mean, since I didn't do anything like technically wrong, yeah, I didn't get kicked kicked out, but I definitely got like downgraded. Mm -hmm. Like I tried to run for the board of the student organization, which should have been like a shoe in. Yeah. Because I'd been involved for three years. Yeah. And they were like, well, you have all not these leadership underway. skills and experiences. So yeah, wow. like you're not underway. And I was like, seriously, like these are my peers that I've hung out with for three years. Like Dang. you're going to not let me be like vice president or some honorary title basically yeah. because I'm not underway in the community. That def definitely left like a sour taste in my mouth. Yeah. yeah. So things went a little bit south with a lot of those people and I'm not much in touch with them because their lives are just completely obsessed by community. I mean, when you have to meet, you know, multiple times a week, yeah. And I mean, you have nothing else in your life. Yeah. Um, really, multiple ones of them had fairly arranged marriages in like yeah. the 2010s. Wow. It was definitely like, you know, I'm looking for a wife. A few months later, they're engaged Jeez. to some yeah. person from one of the other communities. It's like okay, <laughs> especially the guys. Yeah. Because of the St. Mary's split, like, there were five or six girls at St. Mary's. So there were, like, more guys from people appraised at Notre Dame. Okay. Kind of the, That's just sort of how it happened. The split. Yeah. Wow. So I was like, sayonara. Yeah. Uh, and actually, for various reasons, uh, long story short, ended up hearing that there was a job to work on staff for Koinonia, which is the third college outreach right. in London. And I was like, oh, that sounds like fun. I don't know what to do with my life. So why don't I move abroad and work yeah. for college outreach? Because I've been doing this college outreach thing as a student now for like six years. Yeah. I think I'm pretty solid. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I got the job. Um, and also it was a great life choice. I had a lot of fun yeah. um, in many ways, despite the fallout later, the London community was by far my favorite. Much smaller, but much more cosmopolitan. Right. That proximity um, to a really big city, I'm sure. In a neighborhood. Yeah. And in yeah. in a really nice part of a really big city, because where they okay. bought that was far on the edge when it was the, the 80s is now like prime real estate. Oh, in fact, okay. so much wow. so they've they recently moved the community out of London because no one can afford no one under like 50 can afford a house in the, oh, wow. in the community cluster. Yeah. That's crazy. So they did all live in a or not all but a number of them lived in a cluster, which I was a little like, okay. eh, which means like living near each other. But in London, there's so many houses that's so densely packed that would be like, community family, three not community families, another community family. So okay. there was plenty of other people around. It did not have the same vibe as some like, like a Mary street in, in yeah. New Jersey where every yeah. house is owned by community people. For example. <laughs> it did not. That is not my vibe. <laughs> yeah. And that was not yeah. how it was. There's that street in Lansing. And some families lived in Ann Arbor. Elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was not. Yeah. Um, neighborhoods which shall not be named in Ann Arbor. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, so, you know, my family had not grown up in a cluster yeah. specifically. I mean, we had good community family friends nearby, but um, I really liked that. So the first year I lived in a household in the cluster, which was kind of cool and something that probably doesn't happen very often because one family was actually in Russia, long story. Um, and okay. they basically like gave us their house for the year. Whoa. So we had seven That's girls cool. from six different countries um, living in household in this wow. like big old Victorian brownstone. Um, That's wild. It was great. It was really fun. Yeah. It was, it was a challenge, cool especially experience. being on staff with, you know, so being like a role model oh to yeah. all these people. But um, it was a great yeah. experience. Yeah. Wow. Um I know you worked with Jamie Treadwell, but you're kind of not wanting to get into that too much. Is that right? I can mention it. I don't mind. I mean, yeah, it's my yeah. second year. I guess I can tell my little gender equality story. <laughs> so, yeah, um, yeah. yeah I, I think people are aware. I don't know how much people are aware, and I'm not going to go all the way into it, but there is a civil lawsuit um, that's been filed against an assortment of leaders in community. And when I looked at the list, um, I've pretty much worked with all of them at some capacity. Wow. 
So yeah. um, that was pretty shocking. Um, yeah. So Jamie Treadwell was one of the servants of the word. I think you've mentioned that before, but it's like a celibate male yeah. brotherhood. And in many ways, they are like the backbone of a lot of the college outreaches. So um, a lot of times they sort of get assigned to lead or work on staff in the college outreach. So when I went to London, I was the only female staff worker in the whole European region. Oh, wow. Um, that was paid. I mean, the European communities are much smaller and they don't have almost any paid staff. Right. Okay. Um, so I was, So I was sort of de facto also like a regional yeah. women's worker as well. I worked with like leaders from other groups, sort of supporting them and helping them, mm-hmm. which was great. Mm-hmm. It meant like work trips to Poland and Belgium and Ugh. Belfast Such and stuff. So that life. was awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it was really a good gig. 2005 yeah. to 2007 too. So it was like oh, wow. yeah. before the world crashed <sighs> and life yes. was very good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but the second year, so I, I had committed to a two-year contract This and I was making like a entry-level teacher salary in the U.S., like 20-something thousand okay. dollars. But in London, that was half that yeah. because the pound was two to the dollar. So like very, very right. not oh. much. Um, and I was yeah. there on a religious worker visa. And okay. my coworker, the male staff worker who had been under like an affiliate, we call it in the service of the word. So he's considering being um becoming a a servant of the word brother he moved on to okay. like the next stage of his training so they had an open spot for a male staff worker and they posted the position i like shared it with some guys that i knew who thought it might be a good fit but that made me technically the senior staff member i mean we had a, the leader of right Koinonia overall also named in the lawsuit andrew petman um yeah was like a you know brother in his late 40s or whatever who's like running the whole thing but i was there are two staff spots. And so when the job posting went out, it paid more than my job did <laughs> for Ugh. a man. And wow. in London, oh, that's um, so ridiculous. The in London, you know, like experience is everything. Like so much is about mm-hmm. do you know how to navigate the subway? Do you know how to meet students? I mean, it's a different yeah. environment when you're doing street evangelism of people who hate religion. I mean, it's just, it's not an American yeah. environment at all. So I learned a lot the hard way. <laughs> yeah. I was like, so you're going to bring in a brand new man, probably an American, and he's going to make right. more than me. So I was pretty pissed. Um, my uh, boss so. at the time I thought was awesome. He was like, oh yeah, we were going to give you a raise. We just hadn't told you yet. And I was like, okay, next time. <laughs> please tell me that. So I don't think I'm getting shafted just for being a woman. Yeah. Um, so that's my little gender community story, but the person who ended up filling that role, they didn't end up finding someone like a lay person who wanted the job. So they actually put Jamie Treadwell into that role all of a sudden after 25 years in Belfast or 20, at least this is 2006. Um, he was like last minute moved from Belfast to, London. I wish I could say that there were red flags. I, well, yeah. I did. I never liked him. I can say that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, even yeah. without the 2020 hindsight that he's a convicted pedophile, um, I I did not get along with him. But I didn't. I didn't red flag anything. Yeah. The conviction now kind of makes it clear why he made that move. Is that right? Like they rather than like taking him out of community, they just kind of moved him. Yeah. Yeah, they they knew he was, or something big enough had happened over there that he was going to get in trouble. And he had this sort of spotless reputation as the founder of youth initiatives with another person who is now under investigation as a pedophile. (laughs) So the two of them founded a youth program. How convenient. Hmm. But at the time, they were really lauded for that, obviously, because it was all about, you know, the troubles in Northern Ireland and stuff. And in reality, they just went into a you know, an area that was poor and underfunded and preyed on vulnerable children, which is distressing. Disgusting. So I did not, unfortunately, I mean, even with a small community, because I was, you know, paid on full-time staff, um, wisely so, like the women in leadership were like, you don't need to do any other community service. So I didn't, Mm. 
I knew all the families. I knew all the girls. There are multiple girls, like probably up to 10 um, that would have been in Jamie's like target victim age range who are now in their 20s, you know. Um, So unfortunately, I fear many of them were victimized by him while I was there, which Mm -hmm. makes me sad to this day. And I apologize to all of them that that happened. Um, especially because I have a daughter myself. It just breaks my heart. Yeah, those poor girls. But, you know, the part of me that's like, well, I was completely separated from youth ministry. And, yeah, the, um, I mean, it's hard in retrospect to hear yeah. those things and to know, yeah. like, oh, I was there. I wish I saw some. But, you know, we you were doing the best you could, and it wasn't on you to to stop it. It's on him. And there were plenty of capable women, some of whom including my pastoral leader, were trained to spot that kind of predator oh, and didn't. So I don't feel yeah. any any excess guilt. I, of yeah. course, feel, feel sad that that happened and very, very angry at yeah. the community yeah. for allowing that. Yeah. Um, Repeatedly. I, Andy Petman, my boss, I would have I would have ranked him among like one of my best bosses ever. He and wow. I got along really well. Yeah. Um, he he had traveled for like 20 years. Yeah. Um, working for a petrochemical company. Wow. But he, so he was pretty like worldly wise, but now again, in retrospect, it's like the brothers always, the servants of the word always claimed that they like didn't let their brothers go places alone, right? There was supposed to be like accountability for them. Mm -hmm. They were not supposed to be like staying over at people's houses, which is where Jamie got caught finally. Um, they were not supposed to be, you know, doing extensive visiting outside the community, but Andy traveled four or five days a week and he traveled all over the world. He traveled to, I mean, he would tell stories about going to Tehran. Like he could go to both sets of countries. He could go to the oil countries like Tehran and Saudi Arabia and yeah. And Russia as well as Israel and Lebanon so there was definitely he had yeah, that weird like carte blanche access shall we say and must have been pulling in yeah. i mean 20 years in right. if he wasn't making half a Jeez. million pounds a year he wasn't doing it right right in yeah. the petrochemical industry right right totally yeah. um, which is also not so a very was- uh, community member thing yeah, exactly. He was definitely in like, I mean, he was a chemical engineer, super smart person. Um, and okay. he was, so he was kind of going through his own transition, like going from that career to like leading a youth outreach or like a college outreach. Of, yeah, that's that small, very, you know, like 20 people. So um, right. he was pretty like human about like that transition. And he was an excellent boss. And he actually mediated a lot of the personality issues that Jamie and I had I don't hmm. at the time it didn't seem like he liked Jamie very much but they were brothers so like yeah yeah he couldn't you know they had to kind of be really diplomatic. too much um but he's I mean he's been the leader of the community and of the brothers there now forever he's never been moved right like that's one of those other things the brothers say that they cycle people around wow. every three years whether that's good yeah. or not I don't know he's never left London yeah. except for his training in Ann Arbor for two oh, years wow. And the Servants of the Word is classified as a church, right, in both the UK and the US. So what that means, it means two things that are big. One, there's no tax, like there's a lot of tax exemptions and no publicly available financial information on them. Oh, boy. Yeah. So those brothers in the UK are probably, I mean, that house they own, I want to say is worth multiple million pounds huge and um but the other side of that is because they get tax breaks and status as a church um they are mandated reporters and that rule in the uk is much stronger than it is here and i don't think they have the same Mm. statute of limitations so while i was definitely sad when i saw andy's name on that lawsuit i would have completely expected it because if there's anyone who's the high priest of the London community and the London brothers, it's Andy. And if there's anything Mm -hmm. that went on that he didn't know about, I would be surprised. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's so we'll see what will come out. And it's, but it's also like, 
Yeah, I know you were saying too, like, it's hard not to have noticed and, but even like the way you're describing them is so on par with what makes pedophiles successful in what they do, which is that they're charming and they're, you know, they know how to work people. They know how to like, make it seem like they just really love helping kids and whatever. Like, I, you know, the people in the lawsuit that I've known personally who are accused of things, I always looked up to them. I always thought they were like, great. And there's part of me now that's like, oh, well, I was a little girl. Like, that's weird. That's super creepy. You know, luckily I was not one of the victims, but there were so many that it's, uh, yeah, to be, to create this system where they are able to perpetuate their uh disgusting behavior is yeah it's really horrifying and i'm glad that it's kind of coming to light yeah exactly so at the time i mean still great experience glad i did it in hindsight it'll be interesting to see what happens to some of the people there Mm -hmm. Um, and it's been interesting to see what happens to all those kids whether or not victims or not, but it's been interesting to watch which ones have stayed in community, which ones have left. All of them have gone through UCO by now um, that were kind of kids when I was there and there's like new generations of babies being born. Um, So it's a different, yeah. Um, Yeah. If I had to live in a community forever, I probably would pick Antioch, but small communities have their own challenges as well yeah but it was a great time and i still have some very enduring friendships um that i made there across the region honestly yeah Um, i actually just ran into one of them one of the ladies i worked with we are we both live in the u.s and we don't see each other very often but we are both back (laughs) in germany oh (laughs) she's from there i was visiting my sister who lives there in community that's fun um and so it's just always great to see those people that you had such a close connection with I think like any yeah. good friendship, whether forged in community or not, like you just have that instant yeah. connection and um, shared experience and mm-hmm. um, lots of laughs and tears together that were really great. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I think it's like really, really interesting to me to hear all the differences and similarities between, you know, word of God and, and, you know, what is now sort of the spirit without word of God and people of praise and people of God and Antioch. And I think I got them all. (laughs) Um, You did well there. Yeah. Thanks. I tried. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But I, I mean, it is like there, there are differences for sure. And there are, stories that are you know of abuse in all of them i think which is also really kind of speaks to just the dangerousness of the structure itself um and but i think it's also like i i can appreciate how you're able to hold some of the good things at the same time like the friendships that you formed and things like that like nothing is black and white I don't think like I think things are kind of it's muddy you know and at at least as far as our own personal experiences go like being able to hold those together I think is really an important part of healing so I'm glad that you were able to do that yeah you're a therapist right my therapist always likes to say (laughs) both can be true yeah exactly (laughs) yeah yeah I have to tell it to myself all the time one of those big things I've taken away like just this (laughs) Just this weekend, I was chatting with a friend and she was Mm -hmm. like, we were reminiscing about a particular food that a particular person used to make. And it was amazing. It was like this baked brie in the oven with like apple and walnut compote. It was like the most amazing. Wow. And somebody else was like, you should just get the recipe. And I was like, I don't think I'll ever speak to that person again, unfortunately. Wow. Yeah. Um, she's the wife of someone who's named in that lawsuit that I grew up with. And I wish I wish I could talk to her again. But if any of those accusations are true, yeah. they lived either 
they lived an incredible cover up and she had no idea that her husband was involved in a lot of terrible stuff right. or she knew. And either way, I don't know that we can reconcile. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. That's heavy. So, yeah, it definitely, I think for me, it's like the, the whole, like my dad, like for people who know him, yeah. he's incredibly authentic and he lives the community vision with this passion mm -hmm. that is just incredible. And that I saw that same passion in leaders who behind the scenes were paying money to basically pay off pedophiles or move them around, right? Like how could they sleep at night? Like yeah. with that kind of dichotomy going on, like right. acting like they're sort of God fearing, charismatic, worshiping believers and leaders. Mm -hmm. And then like building that on a mountain of children's bodies. Yeah. Like what is that yeah. even? <laughs> like that just blows my mind. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. I mean, there's got to be so. some really intense mental gymnastics yep. so, to justify that behavior. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's, I mean, I am no longer involved in the word of life. Haven't been for over five years now. Before all of this came out, just because it was no longer what me and my husband were, you know, kind of agreed to together for our spiritual life. But okay. um, yeah. So in some yeah. ways it makes it easier to like have some distance from all of this, but it definitely still hurts. Yeah. Well, it was a huge part of your life for so long and, and of your history before you were even born, you know, it's generational. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you again. I think it was, uh, I mean, just so helpful to hear your story yeah. to kind of touch on some of the darker things too. I know it's hard. So thank you for sharing. I think it's awesome to hear from people who were there more or less, you know, like, I think that's important. Um, and if, thank you all for listening. Um, you can follow us at Covenant Community Kids on Instagram. There's a Community Kids, the podcast page on Facebook. You can email us at communitykidspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, I think I got them all. Um, and tell your friends. Share share the episodes. You know, let us know what you thought. And um, that's it. I'm used to doing this sign off with Jackie, so I'm like, what? <laughs> but I think I got everything. So thank you again, Hannah. It was awesome talking to you.